broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Good morning, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. A little over a year ago, I accidentally stumbled across Jim Murphy, uh, also known as Murph. Got to looking at the company that he was a part of, Afterburner, that he founded, actually, uh, back in 1996. I was very intrigued by by the concept, doing leadership and uh, team building, uh, consulting on a high level with enterprises, and all of the folks that are doing this training and, and uh, pr- presenting of thought leadership are high-level military veterans of special forces. Many of them, as we were talking about before we went on the air, are from the Air Force or fighter pilots. Very cool concept, and I can imagine the energy in the room and, and, and the ability to command an audience uh, just based on the things that your, your team has experienced must be pretty compelling. So thanks for taking some time. I know you've got some stuff going on today, so have you come by the studio today and, and sit in a few minutes and talk about Afterburners. Really cool. Great to be here, CW. Talk about your background because you came out of college, you went to work and did really well and then thought, oh, I'm going to go to the Air Force. <laughs> so talk about your, yeah, your, something your, your like story. That. <laughs> so I grew up in a, a rural community up in central Kentucky and I grew up on a farm actually and uh, went to college on a baseball scholarship, graduated from University of Kentucky and then went into the business world. Worked for a, a fairly large copier and facsimile distributorship, uh, at least in Kentucky standards, selling copiers to mainly small rural businesses throughout Kentuckyana. And uh, for Toshiba, I did that for for about two years. Um, I was not super happy doing what I was doing. I, I said, you know, gosh, there's got to be more. I, you know, I'd like to do more, although I was successful as a salesperson. And uh, but I just didn't feel that fulfillment that I did when I was playing ball earlier in my college days. So I met a fighter pilot and the guy just made a huge impression on me. And, uh, you know, he was doing something not everybody could do. You know, uh, there was a strong connection to patriotism. There was a lot of other things that were very compelling to me as a young man. And I said, you know, shoot, I'm going to, I'm going to give that a shot. And as you can imagine, you know, trying to do this after the fact, when most folks have become fighter pilots have dreamed about it since they were little kids. Some of them went to the Air Force Academy, uh, you know, very focused academically on doing something like this for most of their lives. It wasn't quite that easy. So uh, I figured out a way to obviously get into the pipeline. And then I found myself going off to pilot training with the United States Air Force with the goal of being a fighter pilot. Uh, and what was very unique is within 16 months, I had left the farm. So went from farm boy, copier salesman to fighter pilot. In 16 months, I was solo on the F-15, one of the most sophisticated jets on earth at the time, you know, 30 to $40 million jet, single seat airplane. And I remember being at Luke Air Force Base in Phoenix, Arizona, strapping into the F-15 to go fly it for the first time. And it just hit me, you know, how does a guy like me from Shelby County, Kentucky get here in this seat? I started thinking about the process that I'd want, that I just came through. And it, you know, the military can tell you all about their deployments and their technology, but they speak very little about the processes that they've developed over time, especially in their elite teams. So fighter pilots, uh, special ops, Navy SEALs. And over time, these folks have really figured out a, a great human capital model on how to train people very quickly, get them focused on a vision and aligned to a mission and an outcome. 
And it just struck me when I was getting ready to close the canopy on that first mission in the F-15. And I said, wow, if I could study this, because I bet even the Air Force, Navy, and the Marines can't articulate it that well, I could turn that into a business. As a matter of fact, if I would have had just one one hundredth of this esprit de corps, this camaraderie, this focus on mission outcome, think about how effective I could have been as an individual contributor, a sales rep, but more importantly, a contributor to our team and our entire organization. Mm -hmm. And I realized at the time, and I was focused mainly on corporate America at the time, not globally like we are now, I realized that most companies struggle with these things that uh, I seemed to just sail through when I was a fighter pilot. How long were you in the military before you left and started Afterburner? Well, um, I worked on the concept throughout my entire career. So it happened, you know, it, it, that epiphany hit me in training, actually. Yeah. So it was about seven years, though, before I really, uh, you know, got out and started deploying it as Afterburner. We started the company in 1996. And when I was reading the, the bio about you, you talked about the the fact that you, you came out of college and you were doing some sales. What Before you got that training and, and started to kind of refine the way you thought about I guess leadership and and how to how to motivate and train others. What what was it about your, I guess your composition, if you will, or your mindset that made you effective in sales? Because from what I understand, you really dramatically helped your company grow. Yeah, I was I I, I was a leader, sales leader, and early on, and then got promoted to be a sales trainer, and then eventually a branch manager. Only two years in into my. Right. career. So you saw a lot of success in sales. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with the athletics, you know, being very focused on a goal, fundamentals, uh, doing things the right way. And uh, so that helped a lot. And I was a sponge. You know, I, I listened and observed and uh, spent time with the people that were successful and tried to replicate what they were doing. So then you go through the military, you sort of refine the way you're thinking about this and you come out and you're going to engage with leadership teams and, and businesses. Talk about what what was that first conversation like when you, how did you choose who you're going to contact to say, hey, I can help you? Well, and, a, lot of, a lot of things happen along the way, but the, the short version is uh, I had an opportunity to test the concept of my methodology, the etho, I mean, the, uh, uh, the heuristic that we are working on. We call it today flawless execution. That's right. the methodology. Um, and you know, we say it's not about perfection because that's impossible in complexity or in complex environments. It's about, you know, striving towards those flawlessly executed outcomes. And that's the ethos of the organization or the team. Uh, but the first time to test it was with a YPO group. And I had a chance to speak in front of a YPO group that, that were touring Dobbins Air Force Base. And I was actually flying F-15s here locally at Dobbins uh, with the 116th Fighter Wing and I had a chance to, to speak to them about these concepts. And it really resonated. And as a matter of fact, one of the gentlemen uh, at the end, because I put uh, a, a closing on on the little speech, hey, you know, I'm a highly qual qualified pilot. So if you need a corporate pilot, uh, I'd like to leave the active duty and, and, or leave my full-time job here and go part-time as a guardsman. Um, I can fly your corporate jet, but I'm also pretty good in sales and marketing. So I have my business resume and my <laughs> flying resume. Don't storm the stage. I have plenty of copies for everybody. And actually one CEO took me up on it. And he was in LA of all places, and he was a paint guy, and he owned a paint company. And third generation paint company, they had never really grown their sales more than three to 5% in one year. And uh, he asked if I'd come on and help his sales team. And uh, so we did. And in about a two year period, I had a chance to test out the flawless execution process in sales uh, for real. 
And uh, we grew the, that company's sales from five to 52 million in two and a half years. So pretty awesome. And I, and I can't say that, it, you know, hey, strictly because of flawless execution, the con- contributions that we were making, but it certainly helped. I mean, w- when you look at the corporate landscape, I mean, h- how, how many businesses out there need somebody like you to come along and, and help them, would you say? Well, I wouldn't say it's somebody like me. I would say it's the thought process. Okay. And, you know, our team at Afterburner is a, you know, diverse team of elite military professionals turned business consultants and management trainers. But we all follow the framework of flawless execution. And, you know, at its basic core, it's an agile framework. Uh, and everybody's trying to be agile out there. And we've been teaching this agility model for over 20 years now. Uh, but now everybody's talking about being agile. Why? Because we learned flying F-15s in, in combat that, that, you know, that complexity requires simplicity because you can't overcome complexity with more complexity. So we learned a very basic model and we've turned that into a business model at Afterburner and refined it and made it very specific to corporations. But at the core of it, teams need to have a common planning framework, a shared metal model. We use a six-step planning framework. But it's not enough to have a plan. We then need to brief the plan, which is the last step of alignment and accountability. Who's going to do what by when? Do you have Mm -hmm. any questions? Mm -hmm. Okay, collaboration innovation is over. We had a chance to do that in the planning stage. Now that we've briefed, that's a preparatory command. It's time to go execute. We are now going to buy into the plan. So plan, brief, execute. And regardless of how well the plan or the brief went, we know in complex environments, there's one thing that's going to stand in the way of a flawlessly executed mission. And we call that task saturation or task overload. And everybody out there in the business world understands exactly what that is. And that's being asked to do more with less in a mm-hmm. complex environment. Mm-hmm. And as fighter pilots, we learn certainly in a single seat jet that, uh, you know, flying at 500 feet going almost a thousand miles an hour as task saturation increases, errors increase and performance decreases. It could be deadly for a fighter pilot, and it can certainly be the demise of uh, corporate execution if you don't identify and understand that task saturation is at play. So we work with teams, uh, individuals, and corporations showing them where task saturation could get in the way of their flawless execution. So think about this simple framework, plan, brief, execute by eliminating task saturation. And then what do most companies do after they execute? They go back and plan again. But our model has one more step right after we execute, we debrief. Now, this is something that most companies realize they need to do, but rarely do. Why don't you debrief? Two reasons mainly. One, you don't think you have time to debrief, so you don't really see value in the debrief. And number two, you really don't know how. Mm -hmm. Um, So we teach companies how to have what we call a nameless, rankless stealth debrief, because we know that one of the reasons that companies don't execute well is they try to have artificial harmony all the time. We never get down to the accountability after the fact. So that's what the debrief is all about. It must be nameless and rankless. So the fear of reprimand or hierarchy in the organization does not get in the way of the truth. Mm -hmm. So it's not about artificial harmony. It's about truth. So we do a root cause analysis in the debrief. You know, how did an error occur? But more importantly, why did that error occur? And we look for a lesson learned so we can make a shift or pivot. We take that lesson learned, roll it right back into the next day's plan. And we plan, brief, and execute just a little bit better. So if you think about whether it's a sales call, client outcomes, operational efficiency, 
you know, leadership, uh, trying to execute certain strategic campaigns, this simple framework, plan around that brief, execute, debrief, shift, replan again, this iterative framework will allow even a large organization to stay at the same rate of change or slightly ahead of it, and you'll win in complex environments. How often are you going through this process? Is it every day? Is it, what's the rhythm? Well, there's basically three levels of organizational execution. So you have the organizational level. So maybe, you know, a company is looking at a two to five year, what we call it HDD, a high definition destination. A lot of companies call it a vision. And we believe there's a big difference between what we teach in HDD and a general vision. But let's just say that's that two to five year horizon. That's one level of planning. And then articulates down to strategic planning or maybe campaigns that have to be executed over the next year, two years in order to get to that finish line, that, that uh, vision. And then the tactical missions that have to go on daily, weekly, monthly, or quarterly within the business. So the plan, brief, execute, debrief cycles are working at all three levels. Lessons learned are being passed up to the strategic and the organizational leadership team so they can pivot and make adjustments. And they're also passing those lessons learned across the verticals or the silos of the business. So we're accelerating everybody's knowledge so we don't repeat the same mistakes. How do you interface with your client? I mean, is it is it an ongoing relationship where you're actually physically there with them or is it more of a an event type thing where they're coming together for a few days, a day, a few hours, whatever the case may be? How, how, does, it, how does your relationship flow? Both. We do uh, between two and 300 events a year. So think, you know, your annual meeting where the CEOs has 2000 employees in a room. We're rolling out next year's strategy. Could be a sales kickoff. You know, we get hired a lot for our inspirational aligning event. You know, our men and women come out in their flight suits or digi camos, high energy. You know, we have embedded videos in our message, but it's very focused on their particular business challenges. So we'll open or close big, big events. But if you really want to drive the ROI, we get out of our, you know, flight suits and out mm-hmm. of our digicamos and put business clothes on and embed ourselves within the corporation or the client. And we do enterprise-wide change management utilizing our tools. We work with small teams, think uh, certain projects can't fail missions that have to go off uh, at a high rate. We'll work with those. We'll work in high-risk areas, um, you know, think infrastructure, oil and gas, healthcare, preoperative, postoperative briefings and debriefings in the OR and the ER. So we've worked in many different sectors, verticals, and functional areas to include, we were talking earlier, to even the NFL. Talk about the leadership gap. What does that mean um, and why is it important? Well, I think most companies don't realize what's coming down the pike right now. I mean, everybody talks about this leadership gap and they think of it as almost a one-on-one replacement. So I've got my baby boomers that are all leaving in the next five years. So I'm going to have to replace them one-on-one with a Gen X or a millennial or, or somebody. But they really don't understand the exponential issue that you really have at hand. Because you know, as complexity increases, organizations are realizing they have to flatten out the hierarchy in their organizations and start operating into teams or teams of teams. And there's a lot of different things going on right now around that. But if you really think about that, the optimal size team is sometimes around six people or so, but every team will need a leader. So if you think your business, your, your leadership challenge is just this, okay, I've got to replace the, uh, 
EVP suite down to the, the VP level or the district manager, regional manager level with this next level of folks in the organization, you're mistaken. You know, really what you're going to have to do is have many more leaders than that. So there's this huge chasm coming along and most companies do not have any type of leadership training processes embedded in their go-to-market processes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so there's just a massive challenge coming down, down the pike right now around that. What about the shift change? What's that all about? Well, that's it. You know, the shift change is, wow, you know, the baby boomers, Gen X folks that have all the corporate knowledge and the intellectual capital in their craniums are all going to be leaving the workplace and we haven't deposited anywhere. You know, corporations aren't very good at building standard operating procedures that align to checklists that can be deployable throughout the ranks uh, down at the front line. But more importantly, you know, companies are not utilizing a framework that gets work done and develops leaders. And that's what flawless execution does. It's a get work done, execute your strategy type of framework that also develops leaders. And if you think about it, you know, we learned this from our time in the military. I mean, the military does a wonderful job uh, bringing up leaders and it's enlisted in officer ranks from almost day one. It's embedded in everything we do. So, while we're working, we're also developing leaders. And organizations need to realize that this isn't a three-day off-site course. Uh, it's not something we can sprink ma- sprinkle magic dust on. This is something that needs to be part of their everyday fabric. And so you're going to work with that business to, I guess, get them thinking about identifying potential leaders within their team, right? You're, you're, you're having them take a look around the, the company and see people. Are they identifying those people and then using some of your tools to empower that person to continue to advance or hasten their advance in terms of their skill sets? Well, we, we believe that, you know, that looking around and finding those natural born leaders yeah. is not the way to look at things. Okay. I mean, you can develop leadership and you should be developing everybody to being leaders. And if you really think about flattening the organization, if you truly are moving towards pods or teams, you're going to need a lot of leaders out there. So you're not only going to need a leader of that particular team, but you're also going to need one or two leaders in the wings. Uh, Because as you grow, as you maybe move into different business areas, you're going to need to replicate that leadership. So what's nice about what we teach, even around the basics of what we teach, plan, brief, execute, debrief, there's always a leader that helps the team collaborate or innovate in the planning phase. Then there's the leader that stands up and delivers the briefing and says, okay, now that we've collectively come together as a team, it's time to go out and execute. So I'm going to stand, you're going to sit, we're going to do a formal briefing, and I'm going to cover what we all agreed that we're going to do, who's going to do what by when. And I want to ensure that nobody has any questions. And now let's go out and execute. A leader then during the execution phase needs to keep the plan on track. These are formal meetings that can be very short in duration, but somebody needs to ensure that execution gaps do not creep up in the weekly rhythm while the team is executing the pre-brief plan. It takes leadership to do that. And these are pretty simple skills, but they require muscle memory. This is something that needs to be done over and over again. That's why our process is so simple. Simplicity beats complexity. When the execution phase is over, then the leader does what? They run the debrief. They take their rank off first and they do inside, outside criticism in front of the team because they have to exude leadership by saying, even though I'm the formal leader, 
I'm going to take my rank off first because when we debrief, I want truth from everybody and I don't want there to be a fear of reprimand. So I'm going to take the rank off of my shoulder first and I'm going to do inside outside criticism. Here's two things I could have done better as your leader while we're executing this project. Let me tell you these two things. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And, and, and how do you, that's got to be a bit of a, I, I think, a transition for a, a lot of people to stop thinking about themselves in a moment as, you know, in, in terms of a hierarchy. I'm just one of the team at that point. That's right. And, you know, that's not enough, too. You, you know, as a leader, you then not only have to admit those two errors in front of your team, but then you need to ask the team, hey, team, why don't you let me know what you think I could have done better uh, while I was leading this particular project? Once you've done that's a formal step, then it's time to peel back the onion. Now we're on an equal playing field. Now people are maybe a little more disposed to being more forthcoming with not only their own errors that you may not have been able to uncover unless we have this honest feedback. And that's where these real shifts occur because it's not about just pointing the finger on how did this occur, which is normally an act of human error. We want to know the whys. These are the things right below the surface. These are things like, you know, was there a lack of organization, teamwork, execution, our communication, leadership, things that we normally don't necessarily talk about. It would seem that the styles of communication and just how how people go about communicating in terms of like you talk about the, the, the briefing and debriefing, it seems like communication is really going to be what drives success in, in what you're trying to achieve here. Absolutely. It's one of the key uh, tenets to being an effective leader is communicating. And even, that doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're articulate. It just means that you have a platform, which is this shared mental model, which is flawless execution to communicate and when to communicate and actually how to communicate as a leader, not as a peer, but as a leader. Eventually, you're going to be asked to rise above the peer group and actually lead. That's why the simple process is so nice. Here's, here's a six-step planning framework as a new leader can utilize. Here's a way that you can stand up and brief the team to hold them accountable. And here's some basic X-gap meetings. So we ensure that X-gaps do not form along the way. And then I'm going to lead you through a debrief. And we're going to peel back the onion, find out what worked and what didn't. So we can repeat those things that worked really well or not repeat the things that didn't work so well. But more importantly, if we come out with a really nice lesson learned, we're going to put it back into the next day's plan and execute that much better. You know, that, that they've done statistics and uh, a formal debrief that's led or facilitated increased performance from 38 to 68% after just one cycle. So think about what that could do to your business. I'm sure there's a lot of folks that don't necessarily think about themselves as leaders and they have to transition into that. They, I'm not, I'm not the manager, you right. know what I mean? And to begin to think of themselves as somebody that does have to make some measure of leadership decisions and, and contributions, I, I would imagine that on some level that when, when, when someone is able to make that kind of a transition and see themselves as a bit of a leader within the team, then they can get a greater sense of buy-in to the company and their role within it. Absolutely. For, for, from the perspective of your clients, it sounds like there's just a wide range. You've worked with pro teams in, in the sports world. You've worked with healthcare. Any, is there, a, is there a, a demographic of any kind, size of business, any, anything particular around your customer base? Who do you typically work with? Would you say your sweet spot? We're typically working with uh, Global 2000 type companies and above, mostly publicly traded, um, really mostly Fortune 500 type clientele. Um, 
But over the last several years, we have been working with more mid-cap type businesses and companies, privately held companies, but still the majority of our business are pretty large enterprises. And you talk about the fact that you can you can do either short events, be a part of an annual event or something like that, but then kind of the meat of what you're doing really comes, sounds like, from when you get that person on the ground with the business and sit down with them, start looking at their processes and making some changes on a on a project, you know, type relationship. Absolutely. I mean, everybody knows if you're going to sustain anything, you need to work with the tools. And we realize that most companies uh, don't have what we call the courage to execute. So they may bring us in for a great inspirational one hour keynote or half day team building event. Yeah. And all of a sudden they go, wow, this process, this agile model is powerful. I mean, if we had this type of framework in our business plan, brief, execute, debrief, or just debriefing alone, Look what this could do for our business. But then think about what it's going to require. It's going to require some discipline. And even though it's a simple framework, we still have to use it. And the leaders have to role model it. So the leaders are going to have to be, be first to embrace it. And remember, this is a nameless, rankless environment when we get down to debriefing. So do the leaders have the courage to execute? Mm-hmm. Do the leaders have the courage to take their rank off and demonstrate excellence? And then the other thing, too, is just the scalability and the cost and budget and the other things that go into it. So does your business really have the courage to execute? Can you make the human investment, psychological investment, and the monetary investment to cascade this throughout the organization so you're truly getting ROI? And, you know, those are obviously the customers that we do the enterprise-wide solutions with, and we're a fairly small company, so, you know, they get the bulk of our time. Uh, But certainly we do a lot of events and keynotes out there as well. And so on that relationship where you actually have somebody at the at the company, how long would you say that typically that that engagement typically lasts? It depends. So if it's uh, a true enterprise wide solution, uh, 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 rollout, it could be years. I mean, we're working with the fourth largest software company on earth right now. We're, I think, our 18th or 19th month with them. Uh, and uh, we're spending a lot of time all over the world with that company. We've got a team in Ireland right now, hmm. uh, but they're based out in Palo Alto. But then we can use, or then we could work with small project teams. So think in the pharma industry or the med device industry, they're getting ready to launch a new product. So we might work with the R and D team through the launch process, or maybe the sales and marketing team, you know, as they introduce or, or, or launch the product as well. And then we've even been embedded with sales teams, and we've actually gone on ride-alongs with individual reps <laughs> and going, okay, we're getting ready to see this client. You know, what is your plan? Do you have a mission objective that's specific? I mean, I know that you eventually want to get the deal, but what's the specific ask that we're looking for? That's the mission objective. And, you know, let's look at some threats that might stand in the way before you get to that mission objective. But what resources can you bring to play? So we have them start thinking the way that our planning process would have a team think, even at an individual level. And then right before we go in to see the client, okay, now that we have our plan, let's refresh this in our minds. Let's brief each other on what we're going to do in there. Now let's go see the client. And rarely does that go the way we planned and briefed it, right? Yeah. So this gives us a great opportunity to do what? To debrief. Debrief what? The exact mission objective we had. Remember, we wanted a specific ask or takeaway from the meeting, or did you go in there trying to get the whole deal? And let's debrief that. You know, why did that occur? So let's turn that method, or let's turn that information that we just got from that client and let's put it right back into the next call again. And at the end of the day, after seeing, you know, 10 clients, we've got a significant list of lessons learned that we can now put into our, in our bucket, if you will, for the future. 
Well, talk about where folks go to get more information about the company and and potentially engage you uh, on on some level, whether they need you to come by and and supercharge one of their events or, as you're talking about here, to, to really get in and, and evaluate the company from the inside. Uh, you can get your execution assessment by going to afterburner.com, afterburner.com. And you're on uh, social media as well, so folks can follow you on LinkedIn. That's Afterburner Inc., I believe, on Absolutely. on Twitter. So folks can get tied in, uh, find more information about the company, and get uh, bios about the team. Uh, pretty pretty uh, impressive group of people that you have there. And I would I would love to see it in action. Um, seen some video of, of it. I mean, it's it would really be a cool thing to have somebody like that at our event. Well, thanks, CW. Yes, our keynotes and. Uh, half-day team building events are world-renowned. <laughs> we, we put about a million and a half people through our programs, and we've performed these in 23 countries. So uh, we've definitely gotten around, but the real value, obviously, is the sustainment of the flawless execution model. But it's a model for the 21st century. I mean, it's truly a model for today's type of business. Get over to afterburner.com. Learn more about uh, Jim and his team of um, elite military experts who are able to go in and give your your executive team as well as your frontline workforce a new way of looking at how they go about their day and and achieving their goals an exciting a- approach to business and and I think at you know at first you you might go well geez military and business I don't really see the the connection but the planning as you talked about when you start breaking it down in that in that fashion how you approach a mission uh, and and the discussions that go around that before and after, I, I, it started to make sense as I as I took a look at it. So it was really uh, a lot of fun for me to be able to have you come by and, and share information and and help more people know that you're here, so that then maybe they can get linked up with you. Well, thank you, CW. And you know, it's not really about war stories for us or anything like that. It's really about performance mm-hmm. and driving ROI, and that's what the flawless execution model does. And it's a really cool opportunity for you to be able to uh, provide a, a, a great career path for some of those military veterans as well. That's very neat. Thank you. We're proud of that. And we actually have a formal program where we're going out to bases around the world and we're actually helping soldiers, sailors, Marines, and airmen transition into corporate America. And our, our big sponsor right now is USAA. So they're sponsoring that work. So, uh, so it's been really rewarding. Well, very cool to have you in the studio. Um, I want to say thanks so much. I know you've got uh, an appointment that you have to get to, so I'll let you run, but uh, we'll have to have you back. I'm sure there's more we can cover that uh, will help our business listeners out there. Thanks for having me, CW. Everybody out there, if you haven't done so already, make sure you go to the upper left-hand corner of the show page. The Apple logo will take you over to the iTunes store where the Midtown Business Radio Show podcast lives. You can subscribe to us, and that way each week when the new episode comes out, it's downloaded straight to your device, ready for you to listen to when it's convenient for you. We hope you turn around and share this information with your social media networks. You might just put some information in the hands of somebody that you care about that makes a big difference for their personal or professional lives. So we'll say thanks in advance for that. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then.